Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars Messina, and today is Saturday, February 19th, 2022. Today's subject is a biblical figure called Salome. She was the beautiful young princess in the New Testament who demanded the head of John the Baptist in exchange for performing a dance for her predator uncle-slash-stepfather, King Herod Antipas of Galilee. We will explore her story in the Bible and compare it to contemporary revivals of that story. Was Salome the powerful femme fatale she is so often depicted to be? Or was she an exploited child? First, let's turn to the scriptures where we first meet her. So, according to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, Salome's mother, Herodias, Herodias being the princess of the Herodian dynasty of Judea, Herodias bore a grudge against John the Baptist because he very publicly stated that Herod's marriage to her was unlawful. Herodias had been married to Herod's brother, Philip. Herodias divorced Philip, who was still alive, and married her brother-in-law, Herod Antipas. And this was a big no-no according to Jewish law. And John was not afraid to confront them and let them know. And he did this in front of everybody. John was also gaining a huge following of converts to his brand of religion. And people were becoming more rebellious. And really causing trouble for Herod and Herodias. As a result, John was arrested and imprisoned. In the meantime, Herodias's daughter, called Salome, had caught the eye of her lecherous uncle-slash-stepfather. Drunken on wine and passion, he requested that Salome dance for him. So, she danced before Herod at his birthday celebration. And according to the scripture, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. In saying this, Herod was proclaiming in front of a huge audience that he would marry Salome if that was her wish. This must not have been easy for Herodias to hear or to cope with, but she was conniving enough to use that to punish both Herod and John the Baptist. After consulting with her mother over what she should ask for, Salome turned back to the king and requested the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
Now, Herod actually liked John and liked listening to him, according to the Gospel of Matt, or actually Matthew too, but according to the Gospel of Mark. And when a king like that makes a vow or a promise, or he swears an oath, he has to keep the promise. And so he was really remorseful for having said that. And according to the scriptures in Mark, immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. Now I mentioned Matthew. Um, there is a parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew and here's how that reads. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry because his oaths and his guests he commanded it be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Salome, the birth daughter of Herod Philip and Herodias, the granddaughter of Herod the Great and stepdaughter and niece of Herod Antipas is Again, we meet her in the New Testament where, where she's not actually named. We find out her name from an account by Flavius Josephus, and that is where she is named. So Flavius Josephus is an ancient historian whose writings still survive to this day, and he named her, or he reported her name. And according to Josephus, Salome was first married to her uncle, Philip the Tetrarch, not to be confused with her father, Herod Philip. And after her first husband's death in AD 34, she married her cousin, Aristobulus of Chalcis, thus becoming the queen of Chalcis and Armenia Minor. In fact, there are coins that survive to this day that have the image or the profile of Salome emblazoned on the coins. Christian tradition concentrates on Salome's perceived lighthearted and cold foolishness. In contrast, David Flusser, a scholar of early Christianity, believes that her, what he calls, bio biographical profile, Salome's biographical profile suggests a normal, moral personality. Nevertheless, a similar to traditional motif was struck by the Oscar Wilde play, which he called Salome, in which Salome is 
portrayed as a femme fatale. This parallel representation of the Christian iconography, made even more memorable by Richard Strauss's opera based on Wilde's work, is consistent with the traditional Christian depiction of this girl. Even Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate birthdays because they believe such celebrations displease God. And I personally know a family who specifically pointed to the Dance of Salome as the reason why they don't celebrate birthdays or any other holiday that isn't specifically Christ-centered, such as Passover or Easter. According to Josephus, again, this um, Jewish historian, Salome grew up and lived long enough to marry twice and raise several children, while in Oscar Wilde's play, she is killed for demanding the head of the Baptist. The gospel story of her dance at the birthday celebration inspired art, literature, and music over an extended period of time. Among the paintings are those by Titian and Gustave Moreau. Oscar Wilde's eponymous play and its subsequent operatic setting by Richard Strauss are among the literary and musical displays which endeavor to portray her. Salome also appeared in film, for instance, in a 1953 film starring Rita Hayworth in the title role, and in the 1970s made-for-TV movie, Jesus of Nazareth, where she is, again, depicted as an ingenue, very precocious, and who knows what she's doing with her power. Strauss's Salome develops from a clueless ingenue to a passionate seductress that eventually ends up a murderous, lustful lunatic. And back, uh, going back to Oscar Wilde's play, Salome is described thusly. Never have I seen her so pale. She is like the shadow of a white rose and a mirror of silver. She is like a silver flower. Salome is portrayed as being extremely pale, which readers and audience members can infer as an allusion to a corpse. Contrastingly, she is compared to a flower, a common literary archetype for beauty. By having both the essence of death and beauty, Salome is depicted as somewhat supernatural in appearance. The so-called white rose in a mirror of silver creates an image of a rose that is a pale object of beauty standing in the reflection of itself. This can be extended to Salome and her own reflection acting as an embodiment of vanity and her cold mystic beauty. <coughs> Excuse me, water time. <clears throat> the only colors are white and silver 
causing an achromous effect over the vision of Salome. Like a silver object, she is gleaming in allure, but is equally cold. Her coldness can be perceived as a direct effect of her objectification because she is viewed as purely a physical delicacy. She can no longer be fully human and therefore she loses her, her humanity to become a strange yet beautiful shadow of a person. She must find her identity through her body alone because it is the quality of her that is regarded with most value by others around her. Following this description of Salome's character, the audience is informed of the moon as looking like a little silver flower. She is cold and chaste. The reference to the flower and the cold is seen here again, connecting Salome's strange beauty to that of the moon. The moon is referred to as she, furthering the representation of Salome's body as a, a celestial entity to be gazed upon. The character Yochanan, another name for John the Baptist, has been in prison in a cistern below the terrace of Herod's palace for his hostile comments about Herodias. A young captain of the guard admires, admires the beautiful Princess Salome. A page warns the captain that something terrible may happen if he continues to stare at the princess. In the meantime, Salome is fascinated by Yokanan's voice. She persuades the captain to open the cistern so that the prophet can emerge and she can see him and touch him. Yokanan appears, denouncing Herodias and her husband. At first, frightened by the sight of the holy man, Salome becomes fascinated by him, begging him to let her touch his hair, his skin, and his lips. When she tells him that she is Herodias's daughter, he calls her a daughter of Sodom and bids her keep away from him. All Salome's attempts to attract him fail and he swears she will never kiss his mouth, cursing her as the daughter of an adulteress and advising her to seek the Lord. He returns to his underground confinement. The young captain of the guard, unable to bear Salome's desire for another man, fatally stabs himself. Herod appears from the palace looking for the princess and commenting on the strange look of the moon. When he slips in the captain's blood, he suddenly panics. Herodias dismisses his fears and asks him to go back inside with her. But her Herod's attention is turned libidin libidinously 
towards Salome, who rejects his advances. From the cistern, Yochanan resumes his denunciation of Herodias. She demands that Herod hand the prophet over to the Jews. Herod refuses, maintaining that Yochanan is a holy man and has seen God. His words spark an argument among the Jews concerning the true nature of God, and the two Nazarenes talk about the miracles of Jesus. As Yochanan continues to accuse her, Herodias demands that he is silenced. Herod asks Salome to dance for him. She refuses, but when he promises to give her anything she wants, she agrees. Ignoring her mother's pleas, do not dance, my daughter. Salome performs the dance of the seven veils. Delighted, Herod asks what reward she would like, and she asks for the head of Yochanan on a silver platter. Horrified, Herod refuses, while Herodias rejoices at Salome's choice. Herod offers other rewards, but Salome insists and reminds Herod of his promise. He finally yields. The executioner descends into the cistern, and Salome impatiently awaits her reward. When the prophet's head is brought to her, she passionately addresses Yochanan as if he were still alive, and finally she gets to kiss his lips. And she says, Ah, I have kissed thy mouth, Yochanan. I have kissed thy mouth. There was a bitter taste on thy lips. Was it the taste of blood? But perchance it was the taste of love. They say that love hath a bitter taste. But what of that? What of that? I have kissed thy mouth, Yochanan. Herod, frightened and appalled by Salome's behavior, orders the soldiers, kill that woman, and they crush her to death under their shields. Thus ends the play by Oscar Wilde. As we see, we being a contemporary audience or readership, Salome, a young and attractive woman, has fallen under the male gaze. Not only that of her perverted uncle, but of future male artists who have depicted her over the centuries. She's objectified and then she's punished when men are forced to behold their own shame. How fair is this and how accurate is this to her story? So again, let's go back to the Bible and do a careful reading. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and translated into Greek. The New Testament was originally written in Greek with some Aramaic. So let's go back to the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 9, in the Greek, we come across a word that is translated as maidens or young women. 
the word is, and I don't know how to speak Greek, so I might mispronounce this, chorasia, which is a plural word. When we think of young women today, we tend to think of women around the ages of 18 and 25. But the young women or the maidens in 1 Samuel chapter 9 were probably girls. It was the chore of young girls to fetch water for the household, which is what the maidens in this chapter were doing. If one looks up the word corazon, the singular form of corasia, and its meaning and its usage, you will find that there are two references for it mentioned in the New Testament. Jairus's daughter is identified as a Corazon in Matthew 9 and Mark 5. We read that she was 12 years old. The other Corazon in the New Testament is the daughter of Herodias. We find her in Matthew 14 and Mark 6. And Josephus is the one who tells us that this daughter's name is Salome. Art created by men lead us to believe that Salome was a sexy woman, an experienced temptress, and that she danced in a deliberately provocative manner for her stepfather. But in real life, Salome was just a kid at the time. So what exactly did young Salome do to entertain her audience? Admittedly, the rich sometimes indulged in salacious entertainment that sometimes involved children, unfortunately, as they do to this day. And Salome's dance was, in reality, probably amusing, childlike in its playfulness, and endearing rather than erotic, or should have been endearing rather than erotic. The word for dance in Greek, again, um, I'm going to try to pronounce this, orchiomai, in these same verses can refer to children at play. So Salome may have been dancing and playing in an amusing way to entertain her audience and not doing this provocative dance of the seven veils. The only other occurrences of Orchiome in the New Testament are in extremely interesting verses when Jesus mentions children who call out about dancing and piping. We see this in Matthew 11 and Luke 7. Ominously, Jesus' words in these two passages speak of John the Baptist, who would be killed because of a child's dance. Furthermore, when Herod made his oath to Salome, Herodias simply saw her opportunity to exact revenge on John the Baptist and the unfaithful... <laughs> and the unfaithfulness of her husband and how he lusted after her own daughter, her young daughter. She took the opportunity when it presented itself by using her own child as a weapon. 
Rather than being a willing temptress, young Salome may have been an innocent pawn in her mother's vengeance. So Herodias takes on a, a little bit different um, visage, if, if, if you will, than what uh, Oscar Wilde was portraying her as. Someone who really didn't have a lot of power. No, she had, this woman had tons of power. She was born into it and she still had it. And it looks like she really became revengeful. Salome was probably a prepubescent girl of around 11 or 12 years of age who fell under the gaze of Herod Antipas when she played or danced in front of an appreciative stepfather and his dinner guests, and who was prompted by her mother Herodias to ask for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And again, Corsion not only means girl or young woman, by the way, as well as meaning these words, Corsion also means the pupil of the eye. Metaphorically, that refers to someone held dear and cherished, the darling, the favorite, the apple of one's eye. And as a side note, the name Salome is derived from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace or well-being, and was a popular girl's name among ancient Jews. And it's a beautiful name, but a lot of people shun naming their daughters with it to this day because of the most likely incorrect and misunderstood connotations connected to it. Regardless, Salome has become and will remain an archetype of the femme fatale and the Lolita. And it leads me to wonder after girls and women who act as Salome once did. Do these women have any real power over their own actions? Or are they merely playing out a male fantasy? Do precocious young girls even realize what they are doing and how the adult, adults around them are perceiving their words and actions. And it is past time to stop blaming children, but for adults to separate flirty, aggressive, and or manipulative adult operators and their deliberate behaviors from innocent children and their callow actions. And I speak of both males and females. Children are children, and we must stop exploiting them even if they merely fall under our gaze in depictions of art. Bedtime Stories from the Acoustic Bookshelf ends today's program with a poem called Salome by Carol Ann Duffy. Now, before I read it, I tried to find a poem that was from an innocent Salome's point of view, or even about an innocent Salome in the third person, but I couldn't find any. So this one that I'm about to read, like so many others, are from the traditional femme fatale point of view, but I'm gonna read it because I think there are shades of self-reflection and accountability in this piece, and Salome here is a little bit more adult. 
there is also a hint of redemption for a powerful woman who has straight off the straight and narrow and knows and realizes that she can make better choices. And now I will read to you Salome. I'd done it before and doubtless. I'll do it again sooner or later. Woke up with a head on the pillow beside me. Whose? What did it matter? Good looking, of course. Dark hair, rather matted. The reddish beard, several shades lighter. With very deep lines around the eyes. From pain, I'd guess. Maybe laughter. And a beautiful crimson mouth that obviously knew how to flatter. Which I kissed. Colder than pewter. Strange. What was his name? Peter? Simon? Andrew? John? I knew I'd feel better for tea. Dry toast, no butter, so rang for the maid. And indeed, her innocent clatter of cups and plates, her clearing of clutter, her regional patter, were just what I needed, hung over and wrecked as I was from a night on the batter. Never again. I needed to clean up my act, get fitter, cut out the booze and the fags and the sex. Yes, and as for the latter, it was time to turf out the blighter, the beater or biter who'd come like a lamb to the slaughter to Salome's bed. In the mirror, I saw my eyes glitter. I flung back the sticky red sheets. And there, like I said, and ain't life a bitch, was his head on a platter. Until next week, arrivederci.